Good morning and uh, welcome to Cross Point. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. We are grateful that you are with us this morning. Our first impressions team is going to be handing out the connection card booklets. These go down the rows. Every household fill out a card. And if there's a next step, if there's contact info, if you're a guest with us, fill out the gray section. Fill those out uh, as uh, directed this morning. Uh, today is a unique Sunday here in the Cross Point living room. I'm excited for how the Lord will be at work in us as we are gathered together. Uh, this morning we are talking about the vision of planting a church in Manunk and how we're doing that in partnership with other local churches. Back on August 19th, we shared that vision that the Lord is calling and setting apart Pastor Eric Bree and their family to be the founding pastor of this new church. And so today we want to draw our attention back to that vision and how we're going to approach it in 2019. We want to remind ourselves of the why behind the church planting. We want to remind ourselves of how we will go about this as God's people. 2019 is going to be a big year of change for us as a church, a big season of us walking by faith, and we're prayerful about how the Lord will be at work in the years to come. One of the most encouraging things for us is that we're not walking by faith alone. We're walking by faith alongside two other local churches who are involved in this work. Christ Community Church in Gridley and Community Bible Fellowship in El Paso. So today you're not, you're not, not only going to hear from Eric and myself, but you're going to hear from Andy Hitty, who's the senior pastor at Christ Community, and Wes Ooms, who's the senior pastor at Community Bible Fellowship. Together, the four of us are serving uh, as the oversight team to this new church plant. And together, our three churches are saying, we're in. We're in when it comes to the work of spreading the gospel. We're in when it comes to the work of planting new churches to reach new people. We're in when it comes to giving ourselves in prayer, giving ourselves uh, generously when it comes to our finances, and we're in when it comes to encouraging our people to go, to go as disciple makers, witnesses, ambassadors to this new work and join the kingdom there. Over the past few years, the Lord has brought about a gathering of pastors in this area who have been meeting every five, six, seven weeks talking about church planting. We meet here, and one of the most encouraging things in this pastor gathering is that we're not formally affiliated with one another. There's no denominational ties. There's no uh, specific set, specific like hierarchy that says, well, we should join with one another. And so what's beautiful about it is that the, the, what, what binds us is the gospel. What binds us is the Holy Spirit. What binds us is our common burden to want to plant new church, churches to see the gospel spread and reach out. And so we, we started meeting about three years ago, I think, and the vision of planting a church in Manunk was, was probably the catalytic vision that brought us together about, okay, how are we going to do this? So it's so encouraging to see the faithfulness of God in hindsight to go, three years ago, we began praying and talking about this. And now, the God, is, now God is displaying his faithfulness in revealing next steps for us to take. So today we want to talk about the why and then the how we'll go about it. On your way out, our first impressions, people will be at the doors. We've got a frequently asked questions document that uh, front and back that we want you to have as you walk out, every household to have, because we don't have time to talk about all those questions today, but we want to put those in your hands to answer some of the questions you may have. I'm excited that you're going to hear from Andy and Wes today because these are dear friends of mine. I'm grateful for their partnership in the gospel and kingdom work. I'm grateful for their friendship. These are men who I trust. 
and who shepherd and lead churches who I, who, who I have great respect for, for their ministries and their kingdom work. So this is going to be a four-part message given by the four of us. None of us have been a part of this kind of thing before. So thank you for your grace. We're pretty confident that there is some sort of joke out there talking about four pastors walking into a church and sticking to a time schedule. Okay? But we know from Scripture that all things are possible with our God. So, and the nursery workers will hopefully extend to us grace if we go over. Um, but you're going to hear from Andy, or hear from Eric, our church planter, and then Andy, and then myself, and then Wes is going to back clean up for us. All right? So, uh, Eric, you want to come up? Yeah. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can do it quickly because I only have about 45 minutes. Um, so, so just real quick, Paul is, is writing this letter to the Corinthians. Um, they're not living like transformed people. He's had a, a history with them. Uh, their relationship is strained. I'm really thankful that that's not the, the reason why I'm up here talking to you today. Um, and yet the Lord has used this passage uh, to convict me, to challenge me, to encourage me, not only in the area of church planting, but, but really just in how I'm living my life for him. And so I want to share that with you this morning. Um, chapter 5 begins with a perspective on eternal life, and then uh, Paul talks about how that should motivate uh, the, the readers of this letter to live their lives now uh, in a way that's pleasing to God. And so then he says this, starting in verse 14. We're going to go 14 through 21. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we, don't, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the, the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The love of Christ should compel every believer to live from a new perspective. Because of the love of Christ, our view of Christ changes, right? We no longer regard Christ from a worldly point of view, from a worldly perspective. Paul used to think that Jesus was a false Messiah who was cursed by God, and now he knows him as the Savior who was uh, sent by God, uh, and, and not just any Savior, but Paul knows him as his own Savior, right? The one who saved Paul from his sins, and that's why he can say in verse 21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as believers, we know Christ from this perspective. Christ is God's love incarnate. 
to us. The cross is where this great exchange happened. You've heard Dave talk about this before. Christ took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. He died our death so that we can have his life. And we know him not only as the Savior who died, but as the king who lives, right? He defeated death and he rose from the grave. And so because of that, our view of ourselves changes. We no longer regard ourselves from a worldly perspective. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old you has died with Christ and the new you has risen with him. As believers, we've been reconciled to God through Christ and that reconciliation, it never goes away. I love that. God has guaranteed that, not only through Christ's death and resurrection, but also by giving us his Holy Spirit as a down payment for eternal life with him. It means that we no longer live this life alone. Now God's love dwells in us through his spirit. And so because of that, our view of others changes. We no longer know others from a worldly perspective. Because we are loved by God and his love is in us. Listen, we, we can't help but long for others to be reconciled to God, right? And that longing is God-given because the ministry of reconciliation has been given, us, uh, been given to us by God. We can't, God's love won't allow us to look at anyone apart from the gospel anymore. I'm so guilty of doing that, though. Aren't you? We can't see people in need of reconciliation and, and, uh, to God and not do anything. God's love compels us toward them as ambassadors to show them who he is and to tell them about what he's done so that they can have this right perspective of Jesus, see their need to be reconciled and trust Christ to be the one who reconciles them. I love that Paul says be reconciled. It doesn't say, don't rec- or it doesn't say reconcile yourself. You can't do it, right? And so because of that, our view of life changes. If our view of Christ has changed, and that's changed our view of ourselves, our, and that's changed our view of others, then, then our life, the whole view of life changes. We no longer know this life from a worldly perspective because we are transformed by the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ now that we live in. It's the love of Christ that compels us to no longer live for ourselves, like Paul says, but for the one who died and was raised. Our lives are no longer our own to live. That's not just some catchphrase in, the, in Scripture. That's the truth. We've been bought with a price that we can never repay. Christ is our Redeemer. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our King, and He will be all of those things forever. And so we live not with temporary things in view, but with eternal things in view. Over this past year, God has has slowly and patiently been preparing me and my family to plant a church in Manunk. And we didn't even realize that's what he was doing until earlier this year. But even before that, even before we felt compelled to do this, we felt convicted that we needed a better perspective on our lives and what we were doing. By God's grace, our view of Jesus continues to change. Our view of ourselves continues to change. Our view of others continues to change. And our view of life continues to change. All with deeper gospel clarity and eternal purpose. Planting a church is not the next great thing. That's not even the main reason we're, do- we're even talking today. It's not my chance to finally, finally become lead pastor. 
It's not something to elevate Crosspoint or Christ Community or CBF. It doesn't mean that my family's making greater sacrifices than yours. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of obedience. Christ's love daily compels us to live less and less for ourselves and more and more for him, to, to hold our lives with open hands, right, and to grow in readiness and eagerness to do whatever he calls us to do. And so for me and my family, that church planting is the next thing, the step of obedience that God has clearly laid out for us. But, but here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower, his love compels you to obedience too. Planting a church in Manunk won't be uh, the next step that he's calling everybody in here or in Christ's community or in CBF to, um, to take. It won't, won't, we won't all be called to do that, but he will call some of you and some of them and hopefully many in the town, in the, in the Fieldcrest School District, to take that step. My, my family, we can't do it alone. We, we don't want you to just watch us go through this. We want you to do it with us. And it certainly can't, it can't stay just right here among the four pastors. It has to go beyond uh, our partnership in this. And so here's, here's a question for you. What is your part? Is it to pray? Is it to give? Is it to go? Or any combination of those things? What's your perspective? And so we look forward as a family, as, as a church body, to finding that out together with you over this next year as we take these steps together. The gospel has transformed my life, and it continues to transform my life because Jesus took my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. I was once self-sufficient. I was once self-righteous. I thought I could live life on my own terms, and now I just, I'm tired of all of that. I only want to live more and more totally dependent upon Jesus. I still have moments of self-sufficiency. I still have moments of self-righteousness. But, but more and more, God continues to grow me in dependence on him because Jesus is my life. Amen? I want to live transformed because I am transformed. I want you, Christ follower, to live transformed because you are transformed. And I want to see people in Minunk and, and Winona and Toluca and La Rose and Dana and Rutland to be transformed because Jesus can do it, right? All over the Fieldcrest School District, there are people for whom Christ has died, and they just don't know it yet. God will do that work in them because he's done that work in me, and he's done that work in you, and he continues to do so. So, yeah, we're up here talking about church planting, but the church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Our lives, they don't belong to us. They belong to God. Paul says it. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. It's his love that compels us to live in this perspective. Amen? Andy's going to come up here and share why church planting is the way that we're carrying out this ministry of reconciliation in the Fieldcrest School District. Thanks, Eric. It is... It's so good to worship with another church family, which is the same family in Christ. But I, just, I love being here. I want to come back, but I don't, don't know that my church will let me do that on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> uh, but Eric just shared the number one reason 
for why we're aiming to plant a church in Minunk is that the gospel is good news. The love of Christ compels us to this work. The gospel really, truly is good. It's changed, as Eric just said, his life, my life. I love uh, worship leader guy, the gospel that you shared of five fouls. That is great news. I've had five fouls this morning, right? And it is, it is just such good news that God's grace is limitless. So that's, that's the number one reason why we're seeking to plant the church, is that the love of Christ compels us. And Eric loves this good news, and I'm so excited to, to send him out. If you know Eric, which I'm assuming most of you do, you can't talk to him very long before realizing that he loves Jesus Christ, and Jesus is real to him, and he's compelled to this work. So we're excited to send he and Bree out. But we still haven't really fully answered the question, why plant a church? Why not just keep doing what we're doing and sharing the gospel here in Eureka and in El Paso and in Gridley? Why not um, just hold a, a revival in Menonk, or why not just video cast sermons out? Why, why plant the church? Why go to all the trouble of moving there and of starting a new church? Why the local church? And to answer that question briefly, I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, it's, it's a pretty well-known verse and one that I had read a number of times and then a few years back, it, it came alive to me. I saw something I hadn't seen before that changed my thinking significantly. So here's Ephesians 3, verse 20, where Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> so this is a great church planting verse. Just first of all, it's a promise of God that he does far more than we ask or imagine. So right now, we have hopes and dreams and expectations of what we want to see in a church plant in Menunk. And the Lord Almighty sees our hopes and dreams and, and says, those are so small. <laughs> That's nothing. I can do way more than that, and I delight to do way more than that. But that, that's a side note, just a great promise uh, from that verse. Uh, notice what Paul says in verse 21. He says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And what hit me several years back was that the glory of God is not only shown in Jesus Christ, but it's also shown in the local church. So if you're a believer, you know and believe this basic Christian doctrine that the glory of God is shown in Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the word, the immaterial nature of God in flesh who dwelt among us. And John writes in John 1, and we've seen his glory full of grace and truth. So, so if you're a believer, you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. The glory of God is in Jesus. But notice the and. It's the crazy thing about this verse. God's glory is shown in the church and in Jesus Christ. 
that's you and me. That, that's us. That's an astounding truth that the glory of God is through struggling sinner saints like me and you. That the glory of God is, is among us as spirit-indwelt believers today. The local church is a vehicle or a means for displaying the glory of God. Earlier this summer, I uh, got to go to a Cubs game with my dad and my two sons, who at the time were, were six and seven years old. It was their first time to Wrigley Field, and we entered the gate, and we're walking toward our seats, and we were sort of underneath the stadium, you know, where they sell concessions, and uh, we get to the tunnel where you walk through kind of out of the darkness into, into the sunlight. It was a beautiful 3 o'clock game in the afternoon, beautiful summer's day. And my oldest son, Silas, uh, sees the light shining through the tunnel. We're going to walk through, and he just runs up those stairs. And when he gets to the top, he stood there and looked around, and he goes. <laughs> and I just had this, like, proud dad moment, just, you know, watching my son. He beheld a particular type of glory through a perfectly manicured field and a ginormous scoreboard and the real Ben Zobrist right out there. I'm in Eureka, so I feel like i got to talk about Ben Zobrist, right? <laughs> right there in front of him. And he just stood there and just, just took it all in. You see, glory is not intangible or, or <coughs> theoretical. Glory is through means, through what God has created. And Silas beheld glory. Ephesians 3 says that the glory of God is shown through Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. And amazingly, through the church. The glory of the gospel that Eric just spoke about is a glory that's lived and experienced locally in the family of God. The gospel is not just a ticket to heaven that we get put in our pocket and wait until later. It's, it's the news of life transformation right in the here and now. It's to be experienced locally. Local churches are where the realities of the gospel are experienced and known. You see, you can learn about Wrigley Field by watching a Cubs game on TV, by looking up Wrigley Field on Wikipedia. But it's different. It's experienced glory when you go there. So how will people in Minunk and Toluca and Winona and La Rose and Dana and Rutland experience Christ's love? They will hear about it, but Lord willing, they'll also see it. They'll see a family that's being transformed. They'll see people weep together. They'll see people rejoice together. They'll see people care for one another like a flawed, messy, but real, loving family. They'll see life transformation. I pray they'll see freedom. We were just singing something about uh, a freedom. <laughs> Come on, Lord, help people to know that, Manunk, and to see the power of the gospel. They'll see deadbeat dads repent and weep and get checked into their family. They'll see marriages reconciled. They'll see the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Hopefully they'll see the self-righteous weep in repentance. 
In 2016, Christ Community Church in Gridley, where, where I pastor, planted a church in Shinoa. And just a beautiful story of God's provision truly beyond what we could ask or imagine. And last week, I saw a woman who attends the church. I just asked her how it was going, and she said, it's great. She said, it is crazy. People hang out after church for 45 minutes every week and just talk. She said, last week, people hung out for an hour and a half talking. What, what is that? That's the glory of God through the vehicle of the church. And my, my hope and prayer for Manunk is that someone who, who right now is sleeping off last night's partying will one day walk into the family of God and see the power of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ, and the glory of the local church, and will do this. If not physically in his heart or her heart. That, that's our hope. So, so wh why, why go to Manunk? Because God sent his glory in the word made flesh to us. He didn't say, hey, come check this out. He came to us. And now that glory is shown through the local church. And so that's our prayer, that God will do more than we can ask or imagine. That's the why. The gospel is good news in Jesus Christ and through the body of Christ. Now Dave's going to come up and tell us how we're going to attempt to do this thing. Uh, with you, go to uh, the letter of Ephesians. We'll be there eventually. But the question I want to talk about is how do we aim to plant a church? The answer is together. Jesus prayed that his people would be one. John records this prayer in chapter 17. Listen to verses 21 through 23. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So there's a progression there. Father, Father Son, Spirit are one. They're in perfect unity. And we as God's people, followers of Christ, are to be one to reflect that. But that that unity, that togetherness has a purpose. It has a purpose, and that purpose is so that we would be a witness, a testimony to the watching world. It would reveal that we are God's people. So that purpose, it points back to when the, when the world says, oh, they're, they're in unity. They're talking about something like this together. Why is that? It points back to Father, Son, Spirit, that we are one, and we are God's people, and we are answering Jesus' prayer there in John 17. Since Genesis 3 and the fall of man and our sin nature, people have been marked not by unity, but by division, self-centeredness, disunity. But then the good news comes in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through faith alone, by grace alone, we can not only be saved and reconciled to the Lord, but then we're brought into a spiritual family with many brothers and sisters with a perfect heavenly father and so throughout the new testament what we see is not a call to territorial and individualistic christianity but rather a call to unity and partnership throughout the book of acts you see people going on missionary journeys together acts 13 
The church sends out Paul and Barnabas together. The Spirit sets them apart, lay hands on. We send them out together in unity. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, a church that he planted in Acts 16, 11 years prior, he writes this, Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is thanking God for this church because they have not only financially supported Paul, but they have stood with him through suffering and difficulty and prayed for him and interceded for him. It was the gospel that brought them together, that made them partners. It was the good news of Jesus that brought them together in unity and that called them to not just live for themselves, but live for the one who had died and rose again for them. Consider Paul's words in Ephesians then. He gives us some practical counsel about how we answer Jesus' prayer in John 17, starting in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, Therefore I... The prisoner in the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. I love Paul's counsel. He says he does not save. Now, go try to find unity. Go manufacture unity. Go try to create unity. No, he says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's something we as God's people, as new creations in Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit, we already have. Our role is to make every effort to keep the unity. So how do we do that? Well, according to Paul, we pursue humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. As we move forward as the larger body of Christ, seeking to establish and plant a new local body of Christ in a new area, we as fellow siblings in the family of God, as fellow partners and and members of the body of Christ, as fellow sheep in the flock of God, shepherded by the chief shepherd, as we move forward together in faith, It will require us to make every effort to keep the unity. And we'll do that through adopting the attitude of Christ, through following his example, who was humble, gentle, patient, bore our sins on the cross so that we might be saved. In our day, if we're honest, this very picture, this moment here, isn't normal. It's not normal for churches that are not formally affiliated with one another to partner together for a work as significant or as large, if you will, of planting a church. But that picture is completely normative in the New Testament. And as churches, we share a common conviction that the Word of God is our authority. And so we want to pursue that picture of together, partnership, unity that the New Testament calls us to because that's our authority, that's our model where the body of Christ in all its various parts and believers who who have different spiritual gifts but the same spirit are coming together to walk by faith. We believe, according to Scripture, that the Lord is most glorified, that this new church will be at its healthiest when local churches 
can stand together in unity and contend together for the sake of the gospel. So how do we aim to plant a church? Together. For his glory. And the good of not only our hearts and our churches, but the good of those who will be reached through this new church and the health of this new church. Now Wes is going to come up and continue to talk about the how. Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, Dave mentioned I was hitting cleanup this morning. I appreciate that. Um, when I played for many decades church league softball and recreational league softball, I always hit first, maybe second, because I could punch the ball through the infield and the outfield, get on base, and I was quick on the base pads. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> Never, ever, ever did I bat cleanup. So I appreciate the opportunity this morning uh, to enjoy that. This has been a great morning. I've been looking forward to this opportunity, as I know Andy has, and, and, and the rest as we look at the possibility, at the likelihood, at the goal of working together in the kingdom work of God in planting a church, Lord willing, in Monarch. Eric shared earlier why plant, and it's because we've been reconciled to God that the love of Christ compels us to do nothing less than to share the gospel. And a church plant is a vital way to do that. Nanny then shared why plant as well, and, and the idea being the, the fact that God is honored. He's glorified through the church, through the body of Christ, universal, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also as the local church lives and breathes life and ministry into a community. You can never, ever sell that short. And then Dave shared a little bit about how do we do this. And we're going to do this together. And that's exciting. Dave's shared that excitement in, in our past uh, pastor's meetings. And I share that excitement. Not only the enthusiasm, but the anticipation of how God is going to go about that. So what I'd like to talk about just very, very briefly is how do we proceed? Where do we go from here? Now, I don't know if you're wired like I am, but I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. You know, these guys have shared the vision very articulately and accurately and biblically. The question sometimes remains in the back of some of your heads, okay, how do we do this concretely? How do we proceed? How do we move forward in the whole prospect of planting a church in Manunk. One way we could do this is by simply looking at the guys and looking at the churches that are, are coming together to do this. Uh, Andy shared earlier that Christ Community over in Gridley has planted within the past two years a church in Shanoa that is thriving and growing and seeing how the, the grace of God is being manifest, the power of God, the power of the gospel is now infiltrating Shanoa in a brand new way. You can look at your own church family. As Dave has been here from the very start, and I think it's been 15 years, and, and look at what God has brought together, not just an assembly of people, but an ongoing ministry of sharing the gospel where you have been planted. My wife Norma and I were privileged to be a part of the church plant in El Paso, Community Bible Fellowship, almost 30 years ago. 
And a part of us could look at this and say, well, listen, we've got this experience. We've got this success. So let's just get these guys together, these churches together that have the passion and the vision and the success and the experience, and let's do it. There's a part of us that wants to do it that way. Let's be concrete. How do we go about this? But instead, what I want to challenge you with in closing this morning is that the way we proceed is we proceed dependently. Dependently. The Gospels share, the New Testament shares this in two ways. First is a word of caution. The very end of Jesus' ministry, right before he's arrested and then crucified, as he gathers his disciples together, as he shares with them, it's recorded in John chapter 15, he gives this word of caution. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When my wife and I moved back to central Illinois in the late 1980s, Bloomington Normal was going through this incredible population spurt. In fact, the growth there was attracting the attention nationally of many organizations and many national churches. And there were church plants going in literally every week, in the late 80s and early 90s. It became kind of a burned-over district, Bloomington Normal. Dozens and dozens and dozens of churches, and I'm not exaggerating, went in to plant churches. Few of them succeeded. Fewer still of them exist to this day. Now, I don't bring that up to cast dispersions or to pass judgment, but rather to, to remind, be reminded myself and also to remind you here this morning that a church plant doesn't come about as a result of a captivating book, a great seminar, or a desire to put A, B, and C together, and therefore you get a church. It is a work of God from beginning to end. And Jesus told his disciples who had been with him for three, three and a half years, as you go out and you've been with me like no one else, you've, you've ate meals with me, you've seen the miracles, I've sent you out in the past, but understand, keep in mind, apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. That's the word of caution. There's also a word of encouragement. We find that in Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonica. In chapter 5, verse 24, as he concludes his, his writing, he tells the church there that the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Eric and Bree are looking forward to ministry in Manunk. And as has already been mentioned this morning, if, if you know them, you can't spend much time around Eric in particular. I know Eric the best without getting that vision. He loves the gospel. He loves Jesus, and he has a passion for those people in Manunk that have not yet heard the gospel. As much as Eric loves Manunk and the school system, school district up there, Jesus loves them even more. And the one who has called you is faithful. And he will do it. God laid that verse on my heart almost 30 years ago. Because there were times in El Paso, I'd wonder myself, I'd ask my wife, you know, what are we doing? This is crazy. There are 10 churches in town already. But the one who calls you is faithful. And he will bring it about. So how do we proceed from here? We proceed dependently. And that dependency, I think, is, is first manifested in prayer. That's where we start. But our prayer doesn't begin, Lord, bless our work. 
Harry Blackaby back, oh, back in the 70s wrote that classic work, that classic book, Experiencing God. And in that, he makes this statement. He says, find out where God is at work. And join him there. See, it's, it's not our work, those of us who have planted in the past. It's not Eric's work, whose passion and enthusiasm and vision is, is carrying him to this point. It's God's work from beginning to end. And as we begin in prayer, we begin by asking God for his wisdom, for his heart, for his people that are not yet brought back and reconciled to him. We ask for his provision. We ask for his protection. And it's only at the end we ask for his blessing because by that time, Lord willing, we are walking in cadence with the Spirit of God. And God will bless his work. What will this church in Manunk look like? I have no idea. And you probably don't either. But God does. And we proceed in dependency upon God to bring about his harvest in his time his way, for his honor, for his glory. So as we close out our portion of the service this morning, and ask Dave to come back up and lead us. So um, to close out, we're going to, before we sing, we're going to move into a time of communion. I can't think of a better way for us to move right now. Because communion reminds us of our dependence upon the Lord. Dependence upon his body, his broken body, dependence upon his poured out blood. Communion reminds us that we are one body. Paul wrote of this in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. He said, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Ultimately, Jesus laid down his life for the church, the big C church, the one that encompasses all believers throughout all history and throughout all the world. His work on the cross was enough to reconcile. It was also enough to reconcile us not only to him, but to one another, and then send us out on a mission to no longer live for ourselves, but, but to live for the one who died and rose again for us. Our first impressions team will begin to hand out the trays now. If you're a believer in Christ, you are welcome to take communion with us, and then as one unified body of Christ, we will take the elements together. Make sure you get both the top and uh, bottom cups as they're passed. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to give you a couple next steps. One has nothing to do with church planting. It has everything to do with you being a part of a local church family, and that's providing meals for a couple households. One is for the Moore family. Noel and Rachel welcomed home a son on the 25th, Ezekiel James. Zeke is what they're calling him, and I think he's in the house today. Uh, bless their family by signing up for a meal. Bless the Lot family and uh, provide a meal for them over the next couple months. All right, you, links for those are both on the Facebook page. Church planting-wise, make sure you get the FAQ before you walk out for your household. 
and be praying for the four of us because next Sunday we do this at Christ Community and at Community Bible Fellowship and Pastor John preaches on Philippians and finishes up that series here. So be praying for that Sunday in both those local uh, church families next Sunday. Meet somebody new before you leave. God bless.